So I think I'll begin this evening's reflections with a teaching from the Buddha. How, Lord, did you cross the flood without tarrying, friend, and without struggling did I cross the flood? But how could you do so, O Lord? When tarrying, friend, I sank, and when struggling, I was swept away. So, friend, it is by not tarrying and not struggling that I have crossed the flood. So, um, I'd like to to explore explore this a little bit by focusing on the experience of difficult emotion and how that is part of our life, part of our retreat. For all of us, maybe in different ways at different times strong or, you know, subtle or distinct or indistinct and different kinds of, I might say, emotional pain. And uh, so this is partly inspired by a note from somebody who is here who is talking about asking for any any uh, input, words of wisdom on the working with grief, strong grief. And uh, so I was thinking about this and probably we all have experienced this in our life and Perhaps it comes up on retreat and so many different forms and shades and sort of flavors and intensities. And I sometimes think for some of us, it can be the atmosphere in which we live. It can be a very kind of pervasive mind state, almost a kind of sense of, of, of loss or a sense of the sadness of, yeah, of loss in the world or... Uh, in our own lives, so um, I thought about um, and then trying to respond and say what helps. I felt that just naming this together, naming this for all of us to hold this person or each other, to hold ourselves with a sense of our shared humanity. Uh, We all experience loss and grief. And I, I feel that's one of the things that's helpful. Um, and this, this sense of, of really feeling, learning to really 
have a sense of that, which I often have in the hall. I don't know if you do, but it's really, yeah, even though we're all perhaps our flavors of grief and other, you know, difficult emotions are very particular and somewhat unique, they are also very universal as well. And um, the sense that the Buddha, I feel like, you know, I could sort of feel that teaching on the floods, you know, it's that sense of the floods of the world, the floods of our hearts, the floods of the mind in response to the world. And, and the sense of this, this struggling, you know, the, this maybe very understandable kind of tendency to, to, to struggle with that. And, and, and we all know that reactivity tends to increase the difficulty and yet we can't try to stop reacting and how <laughs> do we we can get ourselves into knots and 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 really wonder what on earth is the way through here what is the non-struggling and the non-sinking maybe we find ourselves you know then sort of that you know I know Ajahn Sachito called it surging and flopping <laughs> And swinging between you know, this sort of sense of battling and you know trying to figure it out and technique it away or you know somehow or, and going the other way into sort of just ah you know collapse or avoidance or or denial and like what is the what is this middle way you know it's often the Buddha, the Buddha is like he has sometimes isn't it it's like he's not telling you he's kind of pointing. Like for us, probably each of us in an ongoing way, you know, it's like finding that balance, that centeredness, that, you know, maybe different words to describe what it means to, 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 to find the middle way, to be in the middle way in the midst of uh, emotions or other, other phenomena that are, you know, that catch us and, 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 draw forth our pulling pulling and pushing tendencies um, so I was thinking about things that that help with grief and I was just want to share a few and I think it's it's important that we kind of know what it what it is for us so we can really call upon those helpfulnesses, those that skillfulness when when need arises. And I think it's probably very similar with lots of what is what feels difficult. So one um, one form I think is expression. Like the note I received, you know, that just and from others as well and questions earlier in the week is sort of eloquence or the the articulation. You know the expression, either in in words to another person, or in in writing, or in some other form. Though you know, probably that's different for for each of us. But some form of of allowing something to kind of speak, or express express itself, or or a way of expressing. For some of us, that might be something artistic, like poetry, or it might more be something something like um, listening, like listening to, to, to some, 
you know, hurt part of ourself and actually being able to just just steady ourselves and be able to listen to that to that expression. And um, one thing I want to share, like the, in in this regard, with in terms of, I think maybe not for all of us, but poetry can both the creation or writing of it and also the hearing of it can be it can speak to the heart and kind of you know we we can hear and find some direction some support some sense of how how to be with with difficult emotion in in a more we could say imaginative way you know, using using similes and metaphors like the, the Buddha did so much. Um, so I want to share this poem I love by Pesha Gertler called The Healing Time. Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no in my life, sorry, to my life. All the untended wounds the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one, close to my heart, And I say, holy, holy. So how do how do you what helps you you know we're not in overt conversation here but you know what helps you what do you already know what can you remember what can you draw on that you know helps I mean one of my ones is walking walking it's walking with the energy walking with whatever's moving through and that that somehow, especially outside in the woods or by the sea when I'm there, also something about the body in that kind of movement and and, and the, the helping the energy to just sort of find find its own way, find find its own way of moving through, and maybe other things that help to soften and open the body. As some of you know, I'm a big proponent of lying down meditation. <laughs> um, and often, if I'm getting in tied up in knots, I lie on the floor. It's one of my go-tos, lie on the floor. Get on the floor, Caroline. <laughs> you know it's going to help. And like something about, you know, not being vertical and being horizontal. Head on the floor, whole body on the floor. It's very, I mean, literally change of perspective, right? 
but also the support of the body. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of what inhibits emotion is, is that all those um, probably very old patterns of holding and you start to feel sad and then you go, you know, and something tightens up or you, you feel angry and something goes, or you feel shame and something and you go, tightens. it's like, oh, you know. Maybe there's some more variation in the physical somatic response for you. <laughs> it's often like that's the default. Like, just, um, but to to a way of like oh, moving, you know, like wiggling or you know, just uh, just help to help the body to relax a bit. Um, yeah, something that doesn't need much, you know, clever thoughts and all that, which may not always be very accessible when we're, particularly when there's strong emotion. It's hard to get a thought kind of together. But we can move, we can move, and we can sing. I'm going to do a bit of that later. But, you know, to, 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 to me, there's a place for creativity in practice. But... Um, Kind of the part of the wisdom of the body, I feel, is that it's like, I feel like, you know, I feel like that, you know, or like kind of the noise, the sound of the voice, and the expression of the body posture. Like, I find that can be very helpful. Um, hmm. So, other things that help me, I remember one period of very severe grief. I had a book, not this book, which I'm going to share a bit with you, and a book by Pema Chodron called When Things Fall Apart, which you may know, which for several years, I, I carried it around, literally it was in my bag. Like I just carried it everywhere, and read it and read it and read it and read it. And then when this very difficult uh, uh, period occurred, part of what my practice was, I would sit on the on the sofa in the morning and I just I just held on to this book I just because I felt so rough and so I just you know because I I was almost like I could I read it so much I could just holding the object of the actual physical book I felt like some of that wisdom and compassion it was and it's like so it's like holding sometimes I I recommend I used to carry a stone around in my pocket, which was something that to remind me of a particular thing. There's something about holding on to something, um, which again, it's like that's communicating something very directly to the being, to the body. Right? Oh, there, there's something, something here that's good that I can. Yeah, you know, um, that's not very rational, <laughs> but it helped. Um, another thing I remember doing was even I was kind of alone with this particular one I'm thinking of I didn't have that many friends near around so I would really think about people I knew people were thinking about me I knew they were there and I think that's something really lovely on retreat like we can bring people to mind who, who love us or have loved us who, who we know really care and have that sense of that connection. And I, I used to have this image of sort of like reaching out in all directions. And there would always be something, somebody 
and so it gave it helped to kind of mitigate that sense of being alone being kind of cut off and i think that difficult emotion like like grief can you can get very uh kind of closed in or something and kind of feel kind of isolated so that's just a few of the things that you know um particularly in relation to grief but also perhaps relevant to other difficult emotions and even when they're more subtle like i was thinking i want to include in this maybe something that you might consider more to be a mind state like um uh, uh, hurrying you know uh, hurry uh, you know hurry like just for no reason and not even to get anywhere in particular it was just that feeling like, internally right? so, like I like, well, get to the end of this talk quick right? get to the next point you know and make sure it's happening in an efficient manner effective um so that, you know, those sorts of energies, which, you know, maybe they're not emotion. I know that word doesn't really occur in Buddhism, but, you know, you certainly hear them mentioned. You hear the Buddha talking about fear and anger and joy. So it's definitely, you know, it's definitely there. Um, but that sense of, you know, that sometimes almost that very mild sense of, kind of a subtle sense of anxiety where you're just like, slightly hovering above your seat you know just energetically you know ready to jump into action to you know deal with something or defend yourself against something it's like so so i feel like um this just homing in on this this is is very like all day probably our mind or chitter heart mind is 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 kind of resonating reverberating with you know all the time maybe with with different kind of energies mind states emotions you know it's like a kind of and you know when you're mindful you say third foundation of mindfulness or you know you you you're kind of you can tune your interest to notice the I mean, just, you know, in a single hour, sometimes I think it's like, oh, the way way that emotional life is kind of in continual flux. It's very, very helpful to notice that. It can, I think, sometimes um, help to um, maybe loosen up some of that energy. Uh, and our, our relationship to it. So let's see, where are we going? Um, so, um, the floods. So I want to share one of the poems from this collection of interpretations of the poems of the early nuns in the Terigata, the Terigata, sorry. And this one seems very pertinent to this um it's by, from the book by matty weingast called the first free women uh, should be in the library so this is upasama calm how do you cross the flood 
you cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for the stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. Mm. Yeah. If you ever walked across a river with the water pushing against you, and how what that takes to cross without falling in. I also think walking around here in the woods is somewhat similar, not quite the same. What does it take to walk around these paths without falling over? When every single step there's like another route and there's another bump and there's a rock and it's going, you know, and it's like, I love it because it makes you so each, like this poem, each, each step is so present and so how might that be a helpful teaching for this sense of crossing the flood or encountering the flood of emotion feeling and one moment at a time one breath at a time one moment at a time because I think, you know, probably with, with, with this, we're often trying to figure it out and find some kind of solution or um, way to make it go away. <laughs> Stop it from happening. Right? Um, and so I'd like to share a, a passage from this book. It's one of my... Beloved books, Parami on Parami's Biogen's Chitotes in the Library. And yeah, I hope this will be helpful, but I want to share two paragraphs, page 121, if you want to go and look it up. Because I, this, what he explains here is some. I think it's just um, really helpful and very, very acute, very practical. I hope you'll find it helpful. At the core of our suffering is the crucial point where we don't want emotional pain. Maybe I'll just stop there. I'm going to go on. (laughs) Mm. Our resistance can throw us into a fit of doubt, lack of confidence, and the feeling that we are useless. In that loss of balance, a mind thrashes around and creates either a self who is the victim or a self who is to blame. But when we get right to the point, we can see that what's actually there is the wriggling in order to deflect the pain in our hearts. 
We blame others, we blame ourselves, the world, fate, or past karma, some such concept. And we search for scapegoats to carry the pain. All of this is the mind resisting or wriggling away from painful feeling. And in this process, the mind loses the strength and clarity that would enable it to bear with and even let go of the feeling. Huh? Mm. It, 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 it goes on. <laughs> so, I know this comes up, doesn't it, in so many of the teachings in different ways of turning towards what's difficult, you know, being with that. And this sense of um, not making a home in pain, you know, not, but, but like he's indicating, this sense of, you could, you could experiment with this when you feel uncomfortable. If you feel uncomfortable right now, there's something that feels difficult energetically or, and she's just like, let's take a few moments and consider mm, what's actually going on here. Is there's a, be some sensation, and then maybe we can usually we we might be able to see the first and the second arrow. You probably all know that teaching. Something is uncomfortable. And then there's this, what Ajahn Sujitu calls the wriggling. And the resisting. You know, the struggling. So I find this very interesting, because usually what I find is if you, if you can sort of orient to, okay, mm-hmm, mm, this is the okay sensation, and then you begin to kind of locate or not locate, um, identify the aversion, or the you might feel it somewhere in your body, or just in some way you sense that. That, that for me, almost immediately, there's a kind of a shift towards some other relationship or possibility of, oh, right, and even investigating that, even if at first it just feels unclear, there's just a kind of big lump of something or other, and you don't know which is what and which is aversion and which is, you know, up and down, but... Just even asking that question and approaching. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, let's see. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll just continue with some other uh, images or similes or metaphors for... Uh, working with difficult difficult emotions. And the next one is about waves, which is also from Pema Chodron. And this is a story she tells in one of her books. And I don't know how accurately I'm remembering it, but for me it's definitely a teaching. And every time I 
think about it or, or tell it. It's like, yeah. Ah. So the story is when she was studying with Trungpa Rinpoche, her teacher, and um, it was a time in her life when there was a lot of struggle and stress and things were really difficult and she went into her interview with him and spent all the interview going and you know and this is this is really difficult and that's difficult and I don't know what to do about this and I'm overwhelmed about that and this went on the whole through and then at the very end and he was walking her to the door (laughs) at the end of the interview and he said something like yes well yeah that's like when you are walking into the into the sea, into the ocean, and a, a big wave comes down, comes along and knocks you over, and you fall down, and you get sand in your mouth, and you get up, you get up again, and then you keep you keep going, and you're walking, and another wave comes and knocks you down, and but you're there, and you find your way up, and and you keep going, and eventually the waves appear to be getting smaller. <laughs> to me, I always love that, that punchline. Like, it's, what, it's, it's, it's so interesting like, what that's the wisdom in that that it's pointing to. And the, and the, the, the fruits of this, that sort of perseverance and that you know, that sense of getting up, persevering, trying again, finding your balance again, getting knocked over, you know, that's feels like, you know, that's... And then somehow the strength and the steadiness and these different qualities and your perseverance or the paramis and other wholesome qualities, it's like they start to become sort of bigger. I don't know, that's just one idea about why the waves get smaller is because you're getting bigger in a good way no like, yeah. yes, you're growing in strength and I, I was also sometimes I, yeah I discovered this very uh, immediately because I was, I was on holiday several years ago now in, in, in England at the beach and I, I, I actually had the experience of being knocked over by a wave and um, part of that was I was so embarrassed because other people could see. <laughs> I was like, oh God, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm all right. I'm fine. <laughs> so and one of the things I learned is when the waves are quite big, go in sideways. This is my recommendation. Go in sideways because you're offering less surface area to the oncoming wave. Plus you can look that way and that way. Anyway, that seemed to help because I didn't get knocked over again. But the other point here is also about about shame and embarrassment and this sense of I, I, I don't want to look like I'm suffering. Does that come up on retreat? You know, you're sobbing away into your pasta and just thinking, oh God, I hope no one can notice. It's like, you know, I hope no one sees. It's like, you know, Why? 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 You know, I mean, of course I know why, but um, I really noticed when that happened, the, the worst thing about it, probably worse than nearly dying, was, was embarrassment. <laughs> it's like, I would have been much less suffering if I'd been on my own, I think. Well, 
anyway. Yeah. So, um, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll leave that. I'll go on. Because also, um, yeah, winds, the worldly winds, you probably know those teachings, that sense of being buffeted. There's another, these elemental images. I find this is, you know, with the energy of our mind and our heart and our emotions, like feeling it, seeing it as energy. And often the Buddha doesn't use a lot of, like the the water images for hindrances, you know, the sense of, of mind being like water in different states. And then the winds, which are used as similes for, I don't know, for Vedana, for feeling tone, pleasure, pain, and also these worldly winds, you know, pleasure and pain, and then gain and loss. You know, that. That's so interesting, isn't it? Oh, something really good happens, I get that. Yay! And then, and then something really horrible, painful. I lose something, and then I think, then push the other way, something like that. But he also talks about the winds; these different winds having different qualities, like very hot or very dusty or very cold, and the sense of of that being. Um, Oh, I guess something that um, is elemental, maybe natural in a way, right? Not something going wrong, or and how do we find our steadiness? And then we get a bit into, I guess, sort of how do we develop equanimity? That sense of grounded, you know, or the, the sort of mountainous sort of quality. Um, finding that sort of balance, stillness with um, difficult emotions that can come from other people. You know, sometimes I tell a story about a young girl I used to teach. I used to be a school teacher many, many, many moons ago. And one time, as you know, we all did when we were teenagers, uh, we sort of blew this. This young person just blew her top at me completely. You know, screaming, yelling, etc. And I was very, I think I was so shocked, it just went straight through me. I was so surprised. <laughs> but also, like, I, I just felt so much love and care and for, for, for her that I think I often have that sense that I sometimes, you know, when you've had insight and you've had experiences, you think, I wish I could do that all the time. Like, I wish I could, you know. And I wish I could, you know, because I did that. Why can't I do it now? Why do I feel like a, you know, great big thing that things land on? Oops, sorry. Like um, some kind of target, you know, or something. So that was very interesting to me how that story, that experience sits in my mind as an example of wind blowing very strongly and somehow it not landing anywhere. It just goes through and you know, guess we could, I guess that could be something I could practice, like maybe now when I have interviews, I imagine you being a wind blowing through, see how that goes, <laughs> you could do the same with me, my voice is just a wind blowing, just let it blow through, without, you know, it's fine. So, um, 
I think sometimes I'm going to share a teaching on equanimity from Sharon Salzberg. And if we're thinking about, you know, the kind of steadiness that you can have, you can offer yourself or others with difficult emotion, like with that happening, I think this is really interesting. So we have a sense of equanimity not being the absence of that, right? But like, I don't know if you ever do this. Sometimes I do, do, you know, I do something like this practice when I'm feeling really upset and I just get myself sat down and say, right, you just stay there for a while, for goodness sake. Sit really, you know, like, sit like a mountain. And feel whatever you need to feel. Let it, let it, let it be, let it move, let it, you know. So given that theme in our talk this evening, just maybe hear this teaching and just see if that has any resonance for you with the difficult emotions part of our life. Sit like a mountain. Sit with a sense of strength and dignity. Be steadfast. Be majestic. Be natural and at ease in awareness. No matter how many winds are blowing, no matter how many clouds are swirling, no matter how many lions are prowling, be intimate with everything and sit like a mountain. So that's in the kindness handbook. Oh gosh, let's see. Maybe I'll I'll just tell one more story, which is another one of my favourite stories um, in this sort of area. Um, And it's a story from one of Sharon's books about a friend of hers who's a young girl who's having these nightmares, repetitive nightmares. And um, so uh, one day the girl's talking to her friend and telling her friend about, about, about these nightmares. And uh, the, friend, the friend said, oh, well, what do they look like? And the girl was like, oh, don't know because I'm running away from them so I don't know I'm just running scary monsters I'm running so this question obviously stayed with with the girl and and so somehow perhaps one can some at times so back the dream the nightmare is happening and she managed to be awake enough in the dream to the dream to remember, you know, this curiosity, what do they look like? What do the monsters look like? So in the dream, she stops, she turns around, faces the monsters, and they stop, and they start jumping up and down. And she keeps looking at them, and then they turn into something like a 
two-dimensional, you know, just flat shapes. And she keeps looking, and they disappear. And I'm not sure, I I believe that 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 was the end of the nightmares for her. Those ones, anyway. And I find this, as well, really inspiring, beautiful. The power of courage, the power of curiosity of turning towards something. And again, that transformation, like the waves getting smaller. And that the the courage, the support, the friendship, whatever it is that helps, looking really carefully, uh, what is really here? What is actually happening? And having that courage and that curiosity to really encounter like Ajahn Suchito is suggesting, you know, so we can really understand. Ah, oh, oh, this is this is this is what it is in terms of this immediacy of experience, right? Rather than our story about it or our our kind of habitual tendencies to, you know, avoid or um, um yeah. So I think maybe I will come to a pause there. I hope there's been something helpful in there. And yeah, I just would, would, would wish for us all that we find ways of embracing, of including this area, this aspect of our life, of our experience, you know, of our being as human beings, and find ways to include that in our practice, so that it can also be for, uh, in the service of of mindfulness, um, compassion, and of that sense of both, if you like, the healing and liberation of our own hearts, but also it becomes part of how we can show up for others, that we can show up in the world in, in ways that are helpful, partly because we have done this difficult work with this difficult stuff. And, yeah, hopefully we can, we can enjoy some of the fruits of that. And hope that others can too. Yeah, so thank you for your kind attention. So let's um, close our time together by chanting the reflection, reflections on the sharing of blessings and the invitation to. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.